0: As we continue our series on vulnerabilities, we are covering a topic near and dear to my heart, foster care. Sex trafficking programs and organizations across the US report that survivors on their caseload are overrepresented by youth and young adults from the foster care system. Some programs even report as high as 85% of survivors getting services and support from them have had contact with the foster care system. We are talking about youth who have been removed from their home Due to many challenging hurdles and experiences that no child should ever have to navigate, including abuse, neglect, trauma, discrimination, lack of belonging, and abandonment, who are then uprooted and put through a system attempting to keep them safe, but instead it can serve to make them a prime target for traffickers. We are here to learn about how trafficking and foster care overlap and what we in the trucking and transportation industries can do about it. Hello everyone, my name is Helen Hofer, and I'm the Freedom Drivers Project Director for Truckers Against Trafficking, or TAT, and you're listening to our podcast, Driving Freedom. As I mentioned, we are in the middle of our series on vulnerabilities. Every episode we create for you, our amazing listeners, to know more about sex trafficking so that you can better recognize it and report it, so traffickers and buyers are arrested and victims can find healing and liberation. We want to go deeper into the systems that are pipelines to trafficking, so that each one of us can possibly play a role from preventing trafficking from ever happening. All that to say, I am thrilled to be in this conversation today. Thrilled to get to speak to a friend of the TAT team and survivor advocate, Josie Feemster. Josie, thank you so much for hopping on, taking the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here um, and share, you know, my perspective on this issue.
0: Could you give us a bit of an introduction? how you got here today and kind of your experience related to foster care.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So I first got into the work of the anti-trafficking field in 2014. I started off as a program coordinator for a nonprofit in the California Bay Area. And there I would provide services and support in a drop-in center. So youth can come and receive services and support in a non-judgmental space and we would run groups that we would just kind of discuss different things around trafficking and we did a lot of fun activities we had art of yoga so we would have youth engage in yoga and in fact I would engage in yoga i think that is really necessary to have you know that kind of space for youth to come and receive services from 2016 to 2020 i actually worked as a case manager providing support to victims and survivors, and just walking alongside them during their process of recognizing that they were a victim and or just being that person to kind of connect them to other Mm -hmm. services. In 2016, I have providing trainings throughout the United States. And then now, um, I actually work as a policy analyst for the Department of Social Services in the state of California, specifically in the child trafficking response unit. And we do a lot of great work. So it allows me to still continue to help those and contribute to the movement, but definitely on a macro level now.
0: That is really cool. I love the progression, all the areas you've worked in kind of feeding in and informing kind of those next steps, which is really awesome. Tat, we're we're the step remove, right? We're empowering those who are on the front lines. But actually, in my personal time, I volunteer with kids in foster care. I'm a Casa, if anyone listening is familiar, really loved that connection and love that it's this one-on-one. The reason I got into volunteering with foster care is because of human trafficking, because I know of those connections and wanting to be a part of creating that support network for kids and how critical that is. And so Can you talk and tell our audience a little bit more about that connection between human trafficking and foster care? Why are we even talking about this subject today? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, so for me, I used to walk alongside many youth who were in the foster care system oftentimes would hear the same very similar stories of how they did not know about the life of exploitation. but because of being in the foster care system or in group homes or in other areas, they were oftentimes be exposed to the life of exploitation and or what we call recruited into the life of exploitation. We would hear about how young people would hang out with other people, that were in the group homes. And they would say, hey, you want to come out and hang out with me and my boyfriend, which oftentimes was their trafficker being uh, exposed because they were in the foster care system.
0: And as I was preparing for this episode and just through our work, I've heard stories of that and actually uh, had someone reference a case that they were working on where they actually knew a trafficker who was exploiting a woman, a young woman, who then said, hey, I actually want you to get placed in a group home so that I can use you to recruit. Like, I'm going to target the group home. I'm going to recognize they have these vulnerabilities. And can you talk a little bit about what are some of the vulnerabilities? Why would they target kids who are in foster care? Well, I believe
1: that what makes a person with a history of abuse vulnerable is exactly that, right? A person who has a history of pain, hurt already, someone who has experienced abuse, particularly sexual abuse, that barrier is already broken. And also, I've heard that young people oftentimes felt like it kind of prepared them for sex trafficking. Because of all of those factors, oftentimes youth who are in the system do not have anyone looking for them. So if they go and they run away, no one's looking for them. Um, They're coming from backgrounds where No one's looking for them. No one's coming to the group home to drop off birthday gifts. No one's checking in to see about Christmas gifts, to check on them about their day-to-day. No one's fighting for them. No one's searching for them. So when they're approached by a trafficker, it's like all of the things that they're seeking in a healthy person, oftentimes the trafficker is appearing as if they really truly care. And so that makes a person vulnerable to a trafficker. And traffickers know. They know, um, and they ask the right questions to see what those vulnerabilities are, and they use them against the young people.
0: Mm. I remember hearing the story of a survivor years ago here in Colorado who talked about like, oh, my trafficker was the nicest person in my life. Because although both parties, family and trafficker abused me, trafficker also like took me to get my nails done and took me and bought me gifts and like had at some point in that grooming process had done those things for her and would occasionally say, I love you. Whereas that was something she never experienced from this biological family or even a potentially the, the support and care system. Yeah. I
1: mean, oftentimes I would even hear young people say, at least I'm getting paid for it. Uh, You know, when I was being sexually abused by whomever, I wasn't getting anything out of it, but pain, but now I'm getting money out of it. And so that sense, you know, a young person thinks like, this is my choice. I get to choose um, and I'm getting something out of it this time.
0: Do you think that that has any role to play in why it's so hard for someone to leave the life because of that control component?
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of reasons why a person, um, why it's so hard for people to leave the life of exploitation, but that's definitely one of the reasons. may not even see their situation to be exploitive. They might think that it's just me or them getting money as one would say, or me just trying to provide a life for myself that I didn't have prior to the life of exploitation.
0: Yeah. And working even with a couple of kiddos that I've worked with, I get the sense I'm totally done with this system. I will do anything to provide for myself. Like literally anything because imagining the experience they've had before and if this opportunity, I'm putting air quotes, Mm. is presenting itself and saying like, oh, I have a way for you to earn a lot of money. And then you see all these images or literally potentially the trafficker who's like, I'm living a great life. Wouldn't you want to also live this life with me? Like how glamorous does that seem? I wonder if there's also then this sense of Family, I've heard of that term. Like, this is the family, this is the fam. Yes. I don't know, have you heard that or is there that sense of community?
1: Absolutely. Oftentimes, a lot of you who are in the life of exploitation find that sense of family in the life, Mm -hmm. right? There will be the exploiter who is oftentimes called daddy. I'm using your quotes (laughs) also. Um, And, you know, and then you have the wifeies, which are the other people who are being exploited as well. I've heard so many stories, you know, this is the only family that shows up for me. These are the only people that show up for me. And when it's my birthday, they brought a cake me and sang happy birthday for me. When you think of young people and their brains not being fully developed, it's hard to, mm-hmm. to, to determine
0: and see that this is bad and this is wrong. Yeah. And when you've not experienced anything else, one simple thing that I remember doing with one of my kids was like, we're going to go to a bank, set up a bank account. No one has ever done that with you then how do you know that that is a safe thing to do or an okay thing to do? Or, you know, you're setting up expectations based on what you're learning. And if the expectations that are being set up are that this is the way you treat men, this is the way you treat women. This this is the way people treat your body. There are years of experience that have led to that moment. And, I read a Holly Austin Smith's book, Walking Prey, and I it felt like that really helped me understand those steps. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. I do kind of want to shift because I know then there's this other overlap that I want to touch on, which is then the overlap with the juvenile justice system, because there are a lot of kids who will have been in foster care and have had interactions with juvenile justice. Can you talk about why does that matter when we talk about vulnerabilities to trafficking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the juvenile justice system and the foster care system has a huge connection. It's again, how many young people get involved, and it is one of their vulnerabilities. One of the things I think of is youth who have been in the juvenile justice system. Oftentimes, I've heard many stories of youth and from probation, how youth, have been brought into the juvenile justice system because they committed a crime. And I'm using air quotes again. They were forced to commit that crime because of their trafficker. And then you also um, have these two systems are oftentimes interwoven. Many times young people are in both systems.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking these are places where they could be identified as victims, where they could be receiving support And I know that there are some programs out there that are doing that, that are working to uncover and really support them through all of the trauma they've gone through. Yeah, I mean, the juvenile justice system
1: and the foster care child welfare have a duty for, you know, identifying and documenting youth who have potentially are being exploited. And I think that our counties are doing a great job in making sure that they have that piece of identifying youth and asking the right questions because oftentimes youth are not going to say, I'm being exploited. And when youth are picked up, they're manipulated by their traffickers to say, don't say what's happening, don't tell the truth because all they're going to do is not believe you and incarcerate you. And so when they are in a facility It's like, okay, he was telling me the truth. I have to believe him.
0: Right. It would be fairly difficult to see or understand that like, oh, I am in a correctional facility or I'm on probation. Why would you necessarily think, oh, this can be a support system for me? (laughs) You mentioned, right, we're not going to come up, walk up to a youth and be like, are you being sex trafficked? That that isn't really the language that they would identify with, maybe potentially understand, but certainly not identify with. What would be some language, what have you used in talking to youth and kind of figuring out their story?
1: A lot of times, I think that it really just depends. Each person is going to be different. Each young person is going to identify differently. But I think, honestly, I believe that if you talk to youth and get to know them and build that rapport, things will come out. A lot of times when I work directly with youth, we would go on for a drive and take youth to like the beach for the first time. And when we're in the car, the van rather, because we drive a big old van, me and another staff member, that would be the time where they would kind of like share their deepest and most painful experiences oftentimes. And so I think building rapport is key and very critical if you're trying to get that information to kind of keep them safe and see where they're at and not necessarily just going in for their trauma. Well, what happened to you? As an advocate, I would say building the rapport be critical to getting the information you need.
0: You're kind of touching on this, but I would actually love to hear a success story from your work.
1: yeah, so a success story. there are success stories. I would like to say I am a success story um although I was not part of the juvenile justice system and or the foster care system. and sometimes I think missed opportunities. Uh, <laughs> but as far as success stories, working with youth who have been in the foster care system and experienced trafficking, I can say that, Success looks different for each you, right? Um, of course, success includes um, leaving the life of exploitation. But after that, I think that success is leaving the life of exploitation and figuring out what it is that they like to do and being able to experience life in a different way. Youth have not experienced healthy experiences. When you come from a life of trauma, pain and abuse, then that's all you know. When I worked as a program coordinator, we would take youth to the mall sometimes because they would get stipends and money to just go and buy a few things for themselves. And so we would take them. And one time we went into a -a Build-A-Bear. And when we went into a -a Build-A-Bear, I seen a youth and heard the youth become 10 again the tone of their voice. They had never been into a Build-A-Bear. They had never had a Build-A-Bear that, you know, they got to see be created. I'm not sure if many folks uh, on the podcast have heard of Build-A-Bear, but I'm sure you have. If not, look it up. It's pretty cool. But again, you know, watching that youth turn into that young person again an experience something very healthy. It was really exciting to see. And that young person went on to be uh, really great and, you know, left the life of exploitation and never looked back. So that to me is a success. Leaving the life of exploitation itself is a success. I know many people who have lost their lives while being in the life of exploitation. And that to me, is really hard. So success is taking each step to move forward in their lives, whatever it looks like. It may not be traditional school. Maybe they become an artist and make music or art and are just successful in their own ways.
0: And the, the youth who at the Build a Bear, what did they go on to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, she's doing great. She's a mother and doing really great things raising her, her children. Oh, and she graduated high school. You know, uh, many times I I worked with youth that hadn't been in school two plus years. Graduating high school is a huge success for many youth who have been exploited.
0: So you talk about success being even just getting out of the life. But we know that there are a lot of barriers to anyone leaving human trafficking. What makes it particularly difficult for someone who's in foster care to exit the life?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the lack of support, the lack of healthy people in your life, that's a key piece that I think that is missing, having those healthy adults to kind of help and support and guide them. As you mentioned, you know, getting a bank account, knowing what credit is, knowing how to wash their laundry, just basic things that Mm -hmm. um, they are not aware of that they can have or be. So oftentimes the lack of resources is one of the things that I think is really hard. For instance, in California specifically, youth who are part of the foster care system have the opportunity to opt into what is called extended foster care. However, again, it's extended foster care. So you would have a social worker although they wouldn't check on you as, as much as it would be when you were, you know, under 18. Although some youth don't opt in to that program. So then they don't have those services and support. You know, I know one youth, once she aged out of the system, she turned 23, I think, and she could no longer opt into the extended foster care system. And that's when she was exiting the life. And so she didn't really have that support and or resources available to her in order to kind of get that financial stability. I think education is one of the things that is really critical to someone exiting the life because we all need money to live. That's inevitable.
0: So as we kind of circle back to then our audience, as we're talking about professional drivers, those in the transportation industry, what are two things that you would want them to know about foster youth that they might come across to potentially being trafficked or potentially in a dangerous situation that they might come across while they're out on the road or in their communities as a part of advocating for them or supporting them?
1: the first thing is, is you're listening to this podcast
0: right there. That
1: alone is something that you're doing. So that's one thing I will say that you are becoming educated. You are gaining that awareness. Mm -hmm. Awareness is key. If you don't know what you're supposed to look for, you won't see it. Specifically, this crime is made to go unnoticed. But also if you see something, say something. These are kids. These are people who need help and support. If you see something, say something, report it to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And as you mentioned, that key one person, that can change someone's life. I think of a lot of young people that said, you know what, it's because of so-and-so that I didn't give up and I knew I can rely on them and call them. Um, I've had social workers say, you know, they still call me. It's hard, but we know that if we keep that door open and we let them know, we will be here for you no matter what, even if it's saying, you know what, here's a bag of resources of some basic um, items that you may need. Here you go. The key part is being non judgmental and letting them know you will be there when they are ready.
0: And what does that say? Like right at the start of the podcast, you mentioned that the trafficker is the one who's then showing fake love to like earn their affection. But what if you are consistently saying, no, like I'm giving you this backpack because I care about you. Josie, I am really thankful for you taking the time and going through these stories. I know that that can be difficult on various levels. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to remember these stories and to share them with us. And so we are so excited that we can learn all about the foster care system and human trafficking and how we can play a role in ending it. I highly encourage everyone listening to check out our show notes. We're going to list and link to resources there so you can continue to learn more about how you can get involved in supporting those who are in foster care, how you can get involved in ways that are helping to prevent human trafficking. And I want to take a minute to thank you, our listeners, for taking the time to educate yourselves, to take action and serving your communities on and off the road in this way. I would love it if you guys would go and rate and review our show so that other people can find this. Uh, Let us know what you think. Let us know what questions you have. We would love to hear from you. We are here to support your work. Feel free to reach out to us at tat.truckers at gmail.com. That's tat.truckers at gmail.com. That is our info line. You can reach out to that at any point in time. We'd love to hear from you. So when you see some signs of human trafficking, when you suspect it, when you're starting to see those red flags, make sure to make that call right away. No matter who that individual is, they deserve the chance to be connected to support systems who can help them out of the situation and support them to a thriving life. If you know someone in the foster care system, lend them that support. Make sure they know that you're there, that you are a trusted adult. Create that safe space for them because in doing so, you truly are driving freedom.